This is Radio Influence. Podcasting redefined. You've seen Chef Brian Duffy on Spike TV's Bar Rescue, NBC's Today Show, and opening bars and restaurants all over the world. Now he's sharing his stories, his friends, and some tips of the trade he's learned along the way. Prepare yourself to get Duffified. This is Duffified Live with Chef Brian Duffy on Radio Influence. All righty. Good morning. Happy Friday. It's Black Friday today. That's right. And it is Black Friday. So that means that you're all full and super fat because of yesterday. Uh, this is episode number 36 of Duffified Live. And I want to thank you guys all for being here and hanging out with me, downloading it the whole nine yards. Uh, do me a favor, guys. If you can get out there just for a couple seconds, I don't even care if you talk shit about me. Just do me a favor and hop over to iTunes and uh, give us a little review. You know, we're trying to uh, move the show into a bigger audience and little things like those reviews go a huge, huge, far long way. The other thing I'm going to ask you guys to do is just share it. Tell your buddies, tell your friends. When you see that I post and tweet and do all this stuff about it, hop back on there, reply back to me, um, do all that stuff. I'm going to ask you guys to do a little bit of work. It's really important that we bang this out over the next couple of weeks. So do me a favor. Well, let's take care of all that. That's it. That's my begging and pleading for this week. Uh, so I'm Chef Bryduff. If you guys have any questions, you can hop out uh, onto the social media areas. You can check me out at Chef Bryduff on Instagram and Twitter, Chef Brian Duffy on Facebook. Um, you know, I, I do a lot through those three mediums. It's really important to me to kind of get out there and share some of this crazy little world um, that I've been introduced to um, after graduating culinary school 24 years ago, as of December 6th, I believe. It will be 24 years that I have been a chef in the in the world of an educated chef. Um, and I'm pretty excited about that. But uh, there's a lot of different avenues that I never thought that I would have taken in this little world that I live in. And one of them is sitting down and doing a show every week. Um, in the way that we do, you know, we all have our, our own little outlets for creativity and we all have our outlets for the things that we like to talk about. And this is one of the things that I like to do because one, I love people Two, I love to share stories, man. I love it. I have so much fun with all these crazy little interactions that happen that go on on a weekly basis and, 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 and things that we do. So I, I hope that you guys have been enjoying it and, and I'm really enjoying some of my guests. Uh, this week's guest, uh, I'm not even going to get into it right now. I'm going to get into it in just a couple of minutes. But um, so uh, let's do a real quick kind of thing. Let, let's talk. Uh, so last week I, uh, I, I had to go and do the Taste Festival which, you know, I do a lot of food festivals all over the country. And, um, this one is actually really kind of cool. It's run by a family. Um, Chris and Dina put the whole thing together. They've done it for a bunch of years. Uh, they do one in Atlantic city, one in Philadelphia and one in Lancaster. And the cool part about that for me is I typically get to kind of stay home. Um, so I don't really have to go too far. I don't have to hop on a plane to get somewhere. Although I did hit my next level. I was very happy with that. My next level of, uh, of American air advantage world. Um, I got there, but you know, what's weird when I, when I got on the plane that day and, uh, I looked over and there was a first class seat open and I did not get upgraded, <sighs> slightly pissed after flying 80,000 miles in the air. And then I go in the back and I sit down and, you know, the captain comes on and he starts talking and they were about to start doing a thank you. 
and they were thanking the military, which is always awesome because we had a bunch of uh, uh, a bunch of uh, soldiers and sailors on the plane. So um, that was super cool. And then I'm thinking, all right, maybe this is like George Clooney, you know, like Sam Elliott's going to come out. Big mustache. He's going to sit down next to me. He's going to give me like my my next level card, the whole nine yards. No, not at all. Chick came over, yelled at me because my seat was back and my seatbelt wasn't buckled. So, you know, pretty much, hey, all those miles in the air and nothing's happening. But American Air, look, I love you guys. Um, we got to get American Air as a sponsor on this show. I think that's our next one. American Air, we already have a, a, a social media relationship. I want you guys to love me personally. So let's get American Air. Everybody tweet to American Air. Tell them to check out Duffified Live. Tell them that I talk about them all the time. And for God's sakes, at least buy me a pair of shoes. Let's do something fun. Think about that Burt Kreischer commercial that he did. Kreischer, Kreischer? Not sure, but he had a great story. I'll talk about that another time. Um, he did a huge commercial after the whole Ryan Lochte thing and all that stuff happened in Brazil. And, you know, after they lose, lost their sponsorships and all that stuff, um, he stood up in a Speedo uh, and did a phenomenal commercial on a pledge to get uh, Speedo to sponsor him. It was really pretty cool. But um, so so the Lancaster Taste Fest kind of keeps me at home. Um, it's one of the things that I really enjoy. As you all know, I've got a super cool life at home, an amazing family, a, a phenomenal uh, support system of friends and family. And of course, my two pretty awesome girls that are uh, that I have a boatload of fun. If you guys saw my Instagram this week, um, you got to see a little dance party that we were having in my office with my daughters. It was kind of funny. So at 16 and 13, when your kids want to hang out with you, I think you're doing okay. So I think I'm doing okay. Um, I, I have a lot of buddies of mine who have similar relationships with their girls and, uh, it's really important. You know, um, uh, my rule of thumb is, is pretty simple. Uh, well, first off in, in regards to some of my buddies, you know, it's really cool to watch my friend's parent. It's really cool to watch my friends and their interactions with their kids and the way that they do stuff and the interactions that I have with my kids. And I think we all kind of bounce off of each other, you know, in this day and age, uh, you can lose kids really fast, you know, to social media and some of the outside sources and all that stuff. But, uh, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm pretty stoked that I have that really cool relationship with my girls and I'm very proud of the, the, the young women that they've become. So it's really important to me that, that they see the cool stuff that I do and, and that I get to share it with them as well. So they're going to start traveling with me a little bit. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of, I'm kind of stoked about that, but, uh, so uh, heading out to Lancaster and got to do uh, my festival with those guys, which is just a really cool place, man. First off, Lancaster, Pennsylvania, you know, a lot of people see that as horse and buggies and all that, which trust me, I, I totally got stuck behind a couple of them. But a, a lot of people don't really know what else is out there. It isn't just agriculture. It isn't just, you know, Hatfield or whatever, whatever meat companies are out there, Kunzler and, um, you know, some of these really cool pork companies that are out there. There's a lot of other stuff that happens out there. Um, one, we stayed at the Marriott, which is where the festival was, which was a really nice stay, which was a really nice stay. Yes. I just burped. Um, uh, because one, a great hotel, but it's so funny because we were standing in line, we're getting ready to check in. And there was this woman ahead of us who, uh, who was just a bitch. Oh my God, I have never seen a woman berate a, 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 a service employee in the manner that she did. And she actually broke out these wonderful little words, which is, I am the CEO, oh, I'm sorry, the senior vice president of a very important company. Well, great. Now you're just a bitch who's in charge. That's the way that I saw that. Um, she was screaming at these people and, and it got to become a huge joke. 
around with everybody that was in the audience or in, in line behind this woman who was screaming. Like super nasty, super unhappy, complaining about the fact that she had to wait for her room, which there's a huge soccer tournament going on. There's kids everywhere. There's little girls running around in princess costumes because there was some form of of princess show that was going on downstairs as well. And this woman took it upon herself to ruin the afternoon for the employees that were really doing a great job taking care of other people in a very, very busy time frame. And on top of it, there were kids just everywhere. So Marriott of Lancaster, Pennsylvania, I want to applaud you for doing a wonderful job and dealing with, with Bitchy McBitcherson. Um, I don't know if I've used that one before. I was going to go a different level, but I'm choosing not to because uh, I just said nice things about my girls. So I'm not going to talk shit in a nasty way. Um, but so, so Lancaster Marriott, you guys did a great job, huge amount of fun at the show. Um, got to hop up on stage. I did a super long demo, uh, up there where I do this crazy version of a Cacio Pepe with bacon and green onions and red onions and, and Pecorino Romano. And I top it off with a bacon and black pepper crusted egg that goes up on top. So um, it was fun. I had family out there and friends out there, and it was just really cool to do what I get to do in front of all of the people um, that have loved and supported me through all these years. So it was really, really a neat festival. So Chris and Dean, I want to thank you guys so much for taking care of me, uh, for taking care of my family and my friends who were able to make it out there. Uh, friends of mine came in from Scranton, Jim and Corey, or, or, uh, Jim and Corey came in and uh, my, my old, one of my oldest, dearest friends, Kim White, who I've known since I was about 14, she actually picked me up hitchhiking years ago and we became really good friends and she showed up with some other friends and, um, my new assistant was out there. Her name is Sam. She's a super cool cat. And, and Trisha was out there with us and it was just really neat. It, it was a really, really a cool weekend. So we ended up going out Friday night and or Saturday night and hitting the town just a touch too hard. Uh, we ended up at this super cool bar next to the hotel called Telus 360. And everybody kept talking about this Irish pub, this Irish pub. And in regards to an Irish pub, look, it was not Irish Disneyland, which is what most people associate with an Irish pub. You know, bikes hanging from the ceilings. I, actually, I think there was a bike hanging from the ceiling. But it was such a cool vibe walking through the space. And this building had to be 40,000 square feet. Uh, between the speakeasy on the first floor or in the basement level, going up to the first small music venue upstairs, which which sat about – not sat, but held about 200 people with this great artist. I, I posted a video of it. He was really cool, this, this African-American dude. Uh, I'd love to find out who he was. So anybody who was at TELUS 360 in Lancaster on Friday night, let's have a conversation and, and, and let's talk about it. Um, then I, I ended up – the drinks just started flowing a little bit too easy. So we ended up going to uh, the second floor uh, where they have like another ten or 12,000 square feet of open space with huge TVs and massive tables and big bars and little co little coves that you could sit in. So we sat up there and kind of laughed for a while and, and just kind of chatted with the group of people where we were. We ended up going out to this other bar after. It was cool. It wasn't a great bar, but we had some fun. And then we wandered the streets a little bit um, to go out and find something to eat. So we ended up at this diner that was just way too late and way too drunken. And, and uh, I, you know, I had onion rings. Look, if I'm eating onion rings, then shit's going downhill. So um, 
but it was cool. It was fun. It, it, it was a neat little experience to, to be up in Lancaster in that way and be able to see it uh, in a different light than, than most of us normally would. Um, I ride through there a lot with my buddies. We get up into Lancaster quite a bit. So I'm definitely going to stop back again. Um, they've got a 10,000 square foot roof deck uh, at this TELUS place. So check it out. It's TELUS 360. Um, I, look, I don't, I don't. people don't pay me to talk about their bars, but if they've got a great bar, I'm going to talk about it. So uh, the owner of TELUS is a developer and, uh, you know, could they have made a couple of changes? Yeah, I easily could have seen some additional ways to get some revenue going through the bar, but they really did a, a quality, quality job. I was pretty stoked with that. So uh, Saturday woke up, ended up going down and doing another demo. Uh, my buddy G Love came in. Uh, he hopped up on stage for a while prior to me and made some Bloody Marys and, um and then, uh, you know, just getting to meet the fans, man, and, and shaking hands and, and taking pictures with such cool people, um, it, it's, really a, it's really a good feeling. It, it's not a feeling of like, you know, of something that, that I thrive on because it's, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, you must get so bored and so used to people coming up and doing that stuff. But for me, look, it's not like I'm a massive celebrity, but but I do have people that recognize me, and it's super cool for me. I mean, I really do enjoy that, and I love meeting people because because um, you know you guys pay the bills, man. I mean, you guys you guys you follow and you like and and you share and 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 you talk nice things, and and you know when I've got jackasses on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook that are talking shit, you guys hop in there. It's really kind of cool. So it was a pleasure to meet everybody up in Lancaster. I really appreciate it. Um, G and I hopped up on stage afterwards. We got to do a great little demo. Um, he got to sing a new Christmas song, which was really pretty cool. It was, it was all about being nice to people. Um, so check out G loves new album that's coming out. Uh, I don't know the name of it. I, I apologize, I, but you know, you can definitely check it out. Go to G love, um, check him out at, uh, G loves hot sauce and, and all that stuff and, and, and have a conversation. Um, so that's kind of where I'm going to go with that and be nice to people. It's that simple Saturday night. I'm sorry, Sunday night, we got to watch the Eagles. The Eagles beat the shit out of Dallas. I believe it was 37-9. I'm not 100% sure. Uh, Rod McLeod crushed it again. I'd love to have Rod on the show. We've met a couple of times, and uh, I'd love to have him on the show. So anybody out there knows Rod, um, let's get him on the show. Uh, oh, I don't know why I'm saying that. I, I, I'll text him. Uh, or I'll just I'll Instagram. That's what we do now, right? We don't have to text anybody. Just Instagram. You go through there because that's where everybody checks. So, um, drove back Monday, stopped at a couple of cool little spots. I stopped at this crazy little burger spot called DJ's Taste of the 50s and had a great burger. Wow. I had a great burger. Service sucked, but, but the burger was awesome. Uh, let me rephrase that. That was mean. That was wrong to say. The service was good. It was okay. She was busy. She didn't have a lot of time to spend. She wasn't 100% sure about the menu. The training was kind of missing on that. But but the food was banging. She did a great job. Hey, guess what? I had onion rings again the next day. Boy, nothing like trying to watch your weight while you're, you're getting ready for Thanksgiving. Hold on. I got to drink some water. Ah, okay. Uh, speaking of kind of losing a couple LBs for, for, uh, for this week for Thanksgiving, which I did nothing to do. Um, Thanksgiving's coming up. It's, it's one of my least favorite holidays in the fact that it's a gluttonous holiday. I'm not a big fan of gluttonous holidays. I love the concept of all of us getting together and having something to be thankful for. And for this week, I'm very thankful, uh, for my father. Uh, who passed away a couple weeks ago, um, the 14th of November, uh, or I'm sorry, of October. Uh, he passed away. He is missed uh, tremendously amongst my family and all the friends that we have. The support from everybody was huge. Uh, it was big. It was really, really big, and, and it was it was great. So um, 
but he's going to be missed this year. Thanksgiving was a big – he was a fan of Thanksgiving. It was one of those things that you know the family was together and he always had something very nice to say at the table. Uh, he was always very thankful for friends and family. He was always very thankful uh, for those that are not with us um, and that have been with us. And this year it's going to be the same way. Very thankful for my father for taking care and raising a family uh, the way that he did. I think that he raised four wonderful children. I think we all do a very nice job. Um, he was married to an amazing woman. They was, my father was buried on his 50th anniversary. Um, and, uh, my mother, uh, you know, she's missing a part of her life. She's missing a part of her heart. And, uh, that's, that's, that's how I feel about that. So, um, okay. We are going to get our next guest on and, um, our guest is, is a friend. Um, he is somebody who I've known for a bunch of years. He's somebody who I've looked up to. He's somebody who I've been uh, very proud of. Um, uh, he's had a couple of uh, pretty amazing successes in his life between his corporation, uh, between his branding, uh, be- between his name, uh, you know, with his uh, TV exposure that he's done, uh, movies that he's been in, uh, the whole nine yards. Um, I am very proud to to call this man a friend. Um, because he's a good quality, quality individual. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, do me a favor. Uh, I'm hoping, uh, I'm pretty sure I'm going to curse. Yeah. So, so get your kids out of the room and turn the show up and do me a favor and put your hands together, uh, for my friend and somebody that you guys all know, if you have anything to do with Philly, if you've ever been to Philadelphia, hell shit, if you've been to Dubai, Boys and girls, you're going to check out my good buddy. Let's say hi to Tony Luke Jr. Everybody, do me a favor. Get your hands together. Turn the turn the, turn the the show up. Get your kids out of the room. We got Tony Luke Jr. on the air. Hey, hey, hey Brian. How are you, man? How you doing? I, I'm wonderful, man. I'm wonderful. I miss you, dude. I haven't been home, and I never get to see you anymore. I know. I miss you, too, man. I really do. Are you good? Everybody's happy over there? You guys doing well? You know, yeah, day to time, you know, we're doing our thing. Good. You know, moving forward, one inch at a time, right? That's all we can do, just keep moving forward. Absolutely. Hey, Tone, why don't you do me a favor? Why don't you tell uh, everybody who's listening how they can follow you and your escapades and the amazing businesses that you've got going on? Um, You can follow me on Facebook at Tony Luke Jr. That's T-O-N-Y-L-U-K-E-J-R. Um, you can also follow uh, Brown and White USA, which is a Facebook page to help end the stigma associated with addiction. You can get me at Twitter and Instagram at Tony Luke Jr. Uh, you can also get uh, Brown and White at Brown and White U.S for Twitter as well. Very nice. And you're doing a hashtag with Brown and White as well, right? We are. It's hashtag Brown and White. It's our social media movement. Good, good. And we're going to get into that in a little bit. One of the things that, that I was kind of talking about prior to getting on with you, Tone, was was just the way that you have kind of come up through the ranks. I mean, you know, you're a South Philly guy and, you know, I, I mean, you've, you've, you've created an empire, man. I mean, you really have created an empire. Where, where did, where did, where, where did you start, man? What, what where'd you, where'd you start? Well, you know, I, as, as, as you know, Brian, I actually started, um, in the entertainment business. You know, I was the, uh, 
I was lucky enough to be one of the first students at the high school for creative and performing arts in Philadelphia, the, uh, the first graduating class as well. Oh, uh, I, I love music. Yeah, nice. I love music. I loved um, acting. I loved writing. I wrote for for quite a few musicians in the 80s, and I I was was blessed enough to work with a lot of great musicians. Um, did that? Got in, you know, got into the acting bug. I loved food as well because food was the one thing that so mimicked the entertainment business as far as creativity. It was, it was something that was fun. It was creative. It was magical food to me always was. I always loved cooking, uh, loved experimenting with food and different flavors and growing up in South Philly in an Italian household, you know, Italian food obviously <laughs> is very near and dear to my heart. So I really enjoyed learning from my grandmother and my mom and even my father, who was an excellent cook as well. Um, and then I opened up this little place in on 7th and Federal in South Philly called Lucidonio's. And what it was was actually very ahead of its time. I, I, I rented this small place, put a kitchen in, and then what I was doing is I had no inside seating, and we were selling whole dinners. So, and this is in 1990, this would be 1990, I think it was. And wow. uh, you would order an entree, and you would get your entree, you would get soup, salad, and a dessert, and a side, a vegetable side, all for one price. It would come in a box. And we would deliver it right to your house. And they were oh, all traditional comfort Italian foods. That's cool. Yeah, it was very, very cool. And it was doing really well. And then one day my dad called me and he said, look, my father had a commissary for lunch trucks. I worked there when I was younger with my brother, Nikki, as well. And he said, look, I want to do something, all of us. I'd like to do a sandwich shop. He said, I found a little piece of property on Oregon Avenue, there used to be a doggy diner on there. He said, we need to build it. He said, I'd like us to do it together. So I closed the Italian restaurant and me, my father and my brother literally built it from when somebody says they built the business from the ground up. That's we literally physically built it from the ground up. My dad was very good with construction. You know, we put the framing up. The only thing we didn't do was lay the foundation. Uh, it no. took over did, a year and a half. What did, your, what did your father do prior to this, prior to, to building this? Uh, he, he had a commissary. Oh, that's right. The, the food truck farm commissary. That's right. And what about Nikki? Yeah. What did he do? He always worked for my dad as well. Always worked. Okay. So, so there was that family part there. You had the restaurant experience at that point, more or less. And now you guys are building a build uh, what is now an icon. And, and, and it took us quite a while because there was really no money. So we would work, we'd make some money, then build again, work, make some money, build again. And it took, it took, I think almost a year and a half. Wow. And then we opened up February 3rd, 
1992. And I remember <laughs> we literally, I'm not kidding, Brian, we literally had $1,500 to our name. There was wow. nothing left. There was no money left. We put that place together on the shoestring because my father didn't have much at all. And sure. from the first day that we opened up the doors, it, it did well. I mean, it, you know, and we were out of the beaten path. People think, know, oh, what a great Avenue, location man. you guys got. Yeah, there was nothing there when mm -hmm. we opened. You guys had a major intersection. I mean, now it's a major intersection. Back then, I mean, in 92, what there was, I mean, that was JFK. It wasn't 92 yeah, it was JFK. I mean, that was, that's the stadium, you know? I mean, there was really nothing going on in 92. No, it was just truckers. And that's yeah. exactly who we sold to. And I remember the first time we started to take names because no one was taking names before, but we were like a family and we wanted to treat everyone that came to Tony Luke's like a family, not like a customer. And right. if anyone knows anything about South Philly, asking someone to give you their name <laughs> is a feat into itself. <laughs> So, you know, I, I literally remember guys telling me, what, what do you need to know my name for? I'm like, look, I, I want, you know, I just want your name to give you the order. And he'd be like, well, I'm not giving you my name. And I go, all right, well, now today your name is Bill, right? So right. his order would be done. And I go, Bill, Bill, Bill. And he'd be standing. And I go, yo, cuz, this is you. He goes, my name ain't Bill. I go, I know your name ain't Bill. You wouldn't give me your name. I gave you the name Bill today. So, and little by little, we started to catch on. Now, I'm going to give you a little bit of trivia that most people do not know. Hmm? When Tony Luce opened in 1992, for the first six months, we did not, I repeat, we did not sell cheesesteaks. Wow, really? We never opened it up as a cheesesteak place. No, you guys it did a sandwich shop. Italian roast pork, Italian roast beef, chicken cutlets. It was, you know, green sandwiches. It was very Italian, peppers and eggs, sausage right. and eggs. <laughs> it was that kind of vibe. But everybody came to the window, wanted a cheesesteak. Oh. So we decided to do that and make them. Right. That's classic, dude. That's so funny. I, I love the, I mean, that's, you know, that's the, that's the South Philly. That's the family. That's the, the putting it together. You know, uh, you know, uh, uh, Mark Honorado died from George's on 9th Street. I know. I just heard that. What an iconic place that is. Well, and you know, what's funny. So his so I've been going there for 40. I've been going there for 46 years, 44 years. My father first took me there. Well, I guess my father first took me there when I was two. So, yeah, that'd be 44 years ago. And it was a, it was a, it was a, a tradition for us every Christmas Eve, you know, a couple of days before Christmas, whatever it was, we went down, we picked up all the food for Lava Gel. So we got our octopus, we, you know, we got the polla, we got the whiting, we got the bacala, we got the galamad, we got the shrimp, by the way, I'm all of a sudden Italian, you know that right tone. Now I'm Italian <laughs> because I'm talking about food and the way we did it in, in those. But and we would go over to Mark's and we would have that. And that's what it was. You and it was my first real experience with anything like that. You know, I, I mean, that I can truly remember sitting at that dirty counter with <clears throat> with grandma in the back room who was slicing the roast pork and the tiny little grill, which Mark had up front. And at this point, when, and back then it was his father. 
but the grill that he has is the side of a ship that his friend in 1977, they decommissioned a battleship in Philadelphia and they cut off a section of it and gave it to Mark. And that's what his griddle is right now. I never knew that. Yeah, I, wow. I shot a I shot a pilot, and I went in and did a pilot in the place. Which tone? I, it was purely embarrassing for me, but I had to dress like Rocky and run down the middle of the fucking street, dude. <laughs> I was running up the steps of the I was running up the steps of the art museum with with gray sweatsuit on and a headband. Oh my god! And, and fake Rocky, like the Rocky impersonator, comes walking over to him. He's like, "Yo, you need some help over here." <laughs> so, dude, I'm like literally. I was just talking today, full Philly. I was in Reading Terminal. I was in there with Jen Fred this morning. I did a huge Thanksgiving thing with those guys, and I, I was talking about shooting a pilot in Philly. And I was walking, doing a walk and talk from one side of Reading Terminal to the other. And this guy just steps in front of the camera and goes, "What are you guys doing over here? You uh, you guys making a commercial or something?" Like full blown <laughs> stops me in the middle of the thing. And we like, like not even like he steps in front of between me and the camera. It was fucking awesome, dude. It was awesome. But dude, that's Philly, bro. But, but I mean, for you guys, that was a big deal. I mean, what, what was the deciding factor to do the cheesesteak? Was it because of the fact that people were just asking for it? Yeah. People were, were, you know, every day they would come, they go, give me a cheesesteak. And we go, yeah, we really don't do that. No, no, (laughs) man, you gotta have a cheesesteak. Can't open up a shop without getting a cheesesteak. So we did, but. For me, the hardest thing was, here we are, we're basically out of the way from everyone. There's a thousand sandwich shops in Philadelphia. We are now selling cheesesteaks. People are coming, just eat the cheesesteaks. And I'm thinking to myself, well, hold on. The triangle, the the, the pyramid, the triad of, of steaks was Pat's, Gino's, and Jim's. Right. Back then, like it was just no one broke that trial. Like no one did. You just, you just didn't, you didn't get it. So I, I, I said to myself, how do I do it? How do I take the game from 9th Street and South Street and at least let them know that I'm here? Just I'm here. I'm not looking to take over. I don't want to be the king. I don't want to be the best. I don't want to <laughs> be number one. I just want people to know that I'm here. And I guess all those years of just the entertainment business and the way my mind works and I started hitting all the radio stations and then things really turned around for me, Brian, when I decided to do a commercial and you're going to love this story. So <laughs> I call up, I call up with only people our age will remember something called prism. Oh my God, dude, no way. Yes. Well, you know, like the original you remember prism. You know, was Prism a cape with Prism was a cable company or yes, it was, it was a cable company. They showed a lot of sports and early 80s, it was one of the first ones. Yeah. So, so they were early 80s moving on. Yeah. And then I remember, yeah, we weren't allowed to watch it because they had like nudity on there. Right. So, yeah, I go to them and I say, look, I want to do a commercial food commercial. And they were like, yeah, no problem. And I said, I want you guys to come down. They're like, all right, well, we're going to write, you know, the time like, no, 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 no. I'm going to write the script for the commercial. I got this. They're like, no, no, you don't do that. I'm like, no, no, I'm going to do it. And I'm going to direct it. They're like, no, you're not going to direct it. You can't do it. It's a food place. I'm like, they're like, you have, I said, look, here's the deal. I'll pay your writer. I'm not going to use them. I'll pay your director. Not going to use them. This is the commercial. So they come in, right, Brian, to shoot the commercial. And I give them the script and they go, 
where, where's the food? And I'm like, what do you mean? They're like, where's the shot of the grill? Where's the, oh no, we're not going to shoot any food. What do you mean you're not going to shoot food? I'm like, yeah, we're not shooting any food. We're not, we're not going to do that. And they were like, it is a commercial for a sandwich shop, right? I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No food. Everybody does food. <laughs> and I said, and we, we, the first commercial we ever did was recreated almost like the Keystone Cops of two prisoners working outside with, you know, guards. They break, they break away. One of the prisoners only has a week left before he's paroled. But he sees a Tony Luke stare. He breaks, <laughs> he breaks away, runs to the window, grabs a bunch of sandwiches, sits down. The police come. They grab him. They bring his son in to say, Dad, why'd you do it? You only had a week to go in prison. Dad, why'd you do it? And I said, well, it's obvious you never ate at Tony Luke's before. So now when I did this, they literally said to me, you are throwing your money away. This is not the way food commercials are done. Right. This is ridiculous. And I said, let me throw my money away. Because the thinking, Brian, behind what I wanted to do was I didn't want people only looking at this commercial when they wanted food. I wanted people to go, two things I wanted to happen. I wanted people to say, that is the freshest, coolest commercial I've ever seen, or... That guy, Tony Luke Jr., is a moron. Exactly. He's an idiot. We got to go check him out. That is the dumbest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> but now they're talking about it. They're talking right. about it at work. They're talking about it. And here's the irony. A year later, after I did those streams of commercials, a guy came to me, said I was just at an advertising agency to do commercials for my restaurant. And I said, yeah. He goes, did you know whose commercials they show as an example no. of what to do. Yeah, he goes, your commercials. <laughs> and I remember I wanted to do a cartoon, right, Brian? So I asked to do a cartoon, a, a, a minute cartoon. And when the guy gave me the price, I almost fell and died of a heart attack. So I went <laughs> to the Philadelphia College of Art. I meet this guy, Michael. I asked him, do you want to do, all I got is 500 bucks. That's all I have. Would you like to try it as a project? I give it to him. I'm not kidding. I, I never hear from him. A year later, a year later, he comes to me, says, I'm done. I no. go, you're done what? He goes, I'm done the commercial. I had to do it by myself in school. It took right. me a year to do oh, everything. Shit. So we put the commercial out, and it was a character called Double O Luke, like 007, right. who... The evil Dr. Sal Manila stole the family <laughs> recipe. It had the Tony Luke car and it was, it had little ninjas and, and it won all the awards for cartoons. And the kid wind up getting a job because of the commercial with Howard Stern. Oh, wow. Oh, dude, that's awesome. Yeah. That's so awesome. we broke the mold and then we start winning. Things changed when we won best of Philly in 1994 for best cheesesteak, best roast pork. Then we won the Golden Dish Award. Then we won GQ Magazine. Wow. Then we won, you know, a Gourmet Magazine voted us number one of 150 best restaurants in America. And only three, three places got it. Both were high end. It was, I forgot the other chef. I apologize. And it was, um, it was George Perrier and me. 
Like De- was, it, was it Derek Davis? It might have been. Because Derek that year. won. Very I big think, then. Yeah, Derek was big at that point, and he won for his – he had like a $130 cheesesteak. It was a Kobe cheesesteak that he did. And it was like, and it was, it was, it was, I mean, it was at Kansas city prime. I remember hearing about it all through the nineties. So yeah, it was crazy. And it, it changed the game for us. And all of a sudden you heard people saying, Hey, Pat's Gino's Jim's Tony Luke's Pat's Gino's Jim's Tony Luke's. And you know, and that's what I concentrated on was really doing the marketing. And then the food network called. And Bobby Flay gave me my first break. And then all of a sudden, it was like one of their top shows for a throwdown with Bobby Flay. And then more stuff came and more stuff came. And then finally, I got offered, you know, the TV series Frankenfood on Spike TV. Right. And things just really just snowballed from there. Well, now, now, what about what about your I mean, you were you were acting way before you were involved in, yeah. in in movies and everything else way before all of this happened. Yeah, but here's the funny thing, Brian, <laughs> I tried to make it as an actor. Right. My entire life as a kid. And someone asked me because I've got 20, I think, 20, 27 features under my belt now. Wow. And someone asked me, how do you succeed? In, in acting, and I told them, open up the sandwich shop. Exactly. Because it was literally <laughs> the popularity of the sandwich shop and all the actors that came and the notoriety from the actual restaurant that gave me opportunities to audition for film and getting those roles went hand in hand. And if it wasn't for the sandwich shop, I would have never made the movies that I made either. What was, what was your favorite? Well, okay, let's do this. What was your favorite of all of the movies that you've done? What was your favorite? And I have more questions to follow. So go ahead. I want to say the, the movie that I had the most fun with, the movie that I truly tortured the director's life. He should have fired me a hundred times and he threatened to fire me a hundred times. And it's still one of my favorite as far as fun and and notoriety. And it even got me a huge mention on the Screen Actor Guilds Awards was the film Invincible. Okay. All right. But, and, and I mean, just Vince Papali and, and, and Mark Wahlberg was, was an, I mean, that's, that's huge. It's fucking massive, especially for film. Yeah, it, it was an amazing film. And, and let me tell you something personally, you know, I love Vince to death and Mark is a wonderful down to earth, you know, human being. And to this day, to this day, you know, people come up to me and go, oh my God, you, you were the guy in the green cape. Yeah. Like it was my, I literally got a phone call uh, from Mark when they did the premiere and, and um, Eric, and it was like, they said to me, you know, the film was great. He said, but their favorite character was on the screen for five minutes. Like the kids right. loved the guy in the green cape. And it's literally only five minutes long in the film. But it had such an impact and it really boosted, really boosted my career. Well, and you did a lot. I mean, you did some fun stuff with that. I mean, I know there were appearances and stuff. And I want I, I, I want to I remember so I was the chef for 
Kildare's and Mark and Vince had an appearance. I have Tone, I, I have no idea why they were coming to Kildare's. I have absolutely no idea. <laughs> but one of the coolest things that I remember was first off, you know, look, I'm not a big celebrity guy. Um, there's very few people that I kind of get flustered around. But Mark Wahlberg was a fucking he was a megastar. You know, yeah, I mean, this was a fun. big deal. And he walked in the front door of the place and and whoever was standing in front of him said, this is Brian Duffy and he is uh, the chef for all of these restaurants. And he took his gloves off and he shook my hand and he said, it's a pleasure to meet you. And then he stopped and he said, wait, where's Vince? Somebody needs to find Vince. I want to make sure where is Vince? And he was like, he wanted to know where Vince was. This had nothing to do with Mark Wahlberg. This had nothing to do with anything else. He was in Philadelphia. Vince was an icon in Philadelphia at this point, still is. And he was so concerned about where Vince was. And Vince got stuck in traffic. And he waited to walk any further in. He was like, can I hang out here for a little bit, like in this little vestibule area? It was just a really cool thing to watch an A-list actor like that so concerned about somebody else at that moment. It was really cool to watch. And I had a whole different yeah, he, perspective kind of of that, that moment. So I can't imagine what it must have been like to been on, to have been on set with those guys and to do. Yeah. That. He, he was, he's a real down to earth guy, but if you asked me what movie is closest to my heart, what movie that means so much to me, what movie had an incredible impact for, for quite a few people. And I really feel blessed that they did. It was, it was a very rough movie to make. Um, but it is one of the, one of the films that I could never be more proud of. It is, it is now it's in every language in every country. And in 2009, it was literally the sixth most watched favorite film on cable, on Showtime and Cinemax, and the movie's The Nail, the story yeah, of Joey Nardone. You gave that to me. You you actually, I remember when I came down for your, I want to say it was your premiere for Frankenfood, you gave me a copy of that. You gave me a DVD. Yeah, it, it was good. It was a tough movie. It was a great it's movie. It was mostly based on my father. Right. And um, it was, it was, it was really tough. And one of my favorite stories with that film, Brian, is I'm, I'm, the film is out. It's, it, every time you turn cable, it's on. It doesn't matter. Like, they were playing it 100 times a day. Wow. And I get a phone call, and it, it's a, this woman. I don't know who she is. And she says, is this Tony Luke Jr.? And I said, it is. She said, can you please hold for Will Smith? Oh, and shit, said, dude. Okay. I get on the phone, and it's Will Smith. And I go, hi, Will. And he goes, Tony, I'm not bothering you, am I? And I'm like, no, Will, you're yeah. not bothering me. And he goes, I, I got your number from my dad, he said. I had to call you. He said, I just got back from touring Europe promoting Seven Pounds. He said, I get home and there's a movie here. And it's a movie called The Nail. And there's a note that says, Will, you need to see this film. He said, I, 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 Jade is not home. The kids aren't home. He said, I pour a glass of wine. I put the film in. I see Philly. He goes, and then I see your name. And he goes, I know you as like the sandwich guy in right. Philadelphia. So I don't understand what I'm watching. <laughs> and I go, and he goes, 
I'm watching it, and then you come on. He said, and I can't shut it off. And he goes, all of a sudden, my eyes start to well up, and now I start crying. And he said, wow. that's how much the movie affected me. He said, and I wanted to take the time to call you and say to you that I love this movie, and I love you know, what you did. He said, how can I help you? Like, what can I do? to help you with this. And I said, well, nothing. 20th Century Fox bought it. It's, it's in every language. It's all over the world. It's, That's awesome. You know, and, and here's the funny thing. And I, and, and I said to him, I said, it's a lot different from the movie Invincible, you know? And he went, Invincible? The Mark Wahlberg movie? And no. I was like, yeah. He goes, well, what about it? Did you produce that? And I'm like, no, I'm in that. He goes, Tony, I just watched you for 90 minutes in, <laughs> in this movie. You were not in Invincible because let me tell you something. It literally was one of my favorite films. I go, I was, Mark. I was 400 pounds back then. Right. I said, so you probably don't recognize. He goes, well, who did you play? My right-handed guy, Brian. I go, I played the guy in the green. He goes, not the guy in the green. Hey, trying out for the team. <laughs> he goes, you were my favorite character in that oh, movie. that's awesome. He goes, oh, my God, I can't believe that was you. That was you. And we spoke for like 40 minutes. And he was such a wonderful, beautiful gentleman and his soul. And I said, Mar I said, uh, Will, I don't want to keep you. He goes, Tony, I just wanted you to know that how much I love this film. That's great, dude. That's awesome. That's gotta be cool. I mean, yeah, it was really cool. And it was cool that they let me artist view that had it in the United States artist view. I asked them because it's about domestic violence. And it, it hits about child abuse as well. It's a very tough movie to watch, but it really hits home for a lot of people. What? And it was very big in the Latin community. And they said it was okay for me. So what we did was we have a website called thenailthemovie.com. And it's up so anyone could stream the movie and anyone can oh, wow. download the movie wow. for free. Okay. What, what year was this? 2009. Oh, wow. So this wasn't that long ago. No. It wasn't that long ago at all. And you, this was, you, I mean, you went from 400 pounds and then when did you drop weight? Was this, what did you drop weight for the movie? Well, I know I, I, I started to drop the weight before, but I had only lost, um, about 60 pounds, 70 pounds before when I did the nail. So I right. was still quite heavy. Sure. You know, I was 400 pounds. So yeah. when you're 400 pounds and you lose, you know, uh, 70, you're still like three, three thirty. <laughs> so, so, still three thirty, man. Yeah. Yeah. Still big. So, um, I'm still big in the nail, but the movie was based on the character being big, you know, right. as well. So it really worked. And then after the nail, you know, I continued to work and I went from 400 pounds to 240 yeah. And it took 18 months to do it. I kept the weight off for four and a half years. And then I get the TV series Frankenfood and, food, and right. I'm feeling good. I'm looking good. I'm 240. I'm in great shape. And in the show, you know, you only see us eating five meals. In oh, reality, yeah. we ate like 50 meals. Sure. And they were that shit you foods. Didn't see. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Seriously. So I wind up during the course of the season putting on like 30 pounds, yep. which isn't a lot, but, but, but in I, TV I, time, I you, just, you just put on a hundred. Right. Exactly. 
Yeah. So when the when the series ended, I dropped back down. I lost about another 15 pounds. So I was still 25 pounds. I mean, uh, 15 pounds heavier. Yeah. And then I kept that off and I stayed at around 255, 255, 250, 255. And then when my son died, right. um, it's eight months ago, uh, you know, I just lost it and went into a very deep depression. And for me, I eat when I'm depressed and I literally, I'm not kidding you, in eight months, I put on 64 pounds. Wow, dude. That's in big. eight months. Now, yeah. I started to, to lose it again because of the work I'm doing with brown and white. I want to, you know, I, I feel like it's, gotta be healthy for it. it's God's work. And sure. I, I got to try to at least be here, you know, for as long as I can to try, try to help as many families and those that are struggling with addiction as I can. So, so let's, I mean, let's, let's talk about that. That was a big, that was a big blow. That was massive. You know, I mean, it was massive. I mean, your well, son, I, go ahead. I, 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 prior to my son dying, um, and I normally, I don't get into it. I'm not going to really get into it, but there was okay. a lot of problems between my, my brother, my father and myself. And I lost a lot. Brian, sure. I, I lost, I lost a lot and, yeah. and, um, my children lost a lot and I got to be honest. I remember my girlfriend, Maria, God bless her. I, I adore her. She's she pretty awesome. Stuck by my side through everything. And I, I remember sitting here one night and I said, I, I lost everything I worked for. Like I, I, I lost it all. I said, and my children are hurting and I can't help them. And there's no money. And there's nothing. And I, I just, and I remember saying to her for two years, I've been punched and punched and punched nonstop. And I said, Maria, I'm a strong guy, but uh, it, 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 I'm, uh, it's weakening me. Like I'm trying, I, you know, I, I never give up and I, I always try and I stand there and I fight because that's, you know, what I've always done. And, and she looked at me, she said, maybe God's preparing you for something. And I don't know what it is, Tony, but it's something and I remember looking at her and I go, what else could possibly happen? And then, yeah, there, you know, then I got this phone call that, uh, yeah, <laughs> sorry. It's Can't all right, brother. I'm, dude, we're good. We're, um, and it felt like, um, it felt like I stopped getting punched and I start getting beat with a baseball bat. And, yeah. uh, and, um, and I, um, and then that's how hashtag brown and white yeah. was born. Well, so I, I, uh, he struggled. I watched him, you know, he was, um, I gotta tell you, Brian, I have, uh, I've done a lot of things in my life that took a lot of strength to do, right. but I have to tell you the, the, without a doubt, the hardest thing I've ever done in my life was to carry my son's coffin to his grave. It was the longest, the longest walk. And I remember I kept saying to him, 
I got you, son. I got you. I'm yeah. holding you up. And uh, that was that was that was that was the most difficult thing yeah. that I've ever had to do. And uh, and then, like I said, and then a gentleman came in my store, the one in Jersey, because the only store that I have that's my store is in Sicklerville. And um, he walked in. He was an elderly gentleman. He said, Tony, I'm so sorry. I heard that you lost your son. And I said to him, thanks. And he said, do you mind if I asked how he died? And I said, uh, he died of a heroin overdose. And he got very angry and he said, damn it. See what these kids do. They make these choices. They destroy themselves. They destroy their families. Now I didn't get mad at him because he was an older gentleman and, and that's how people think. And I just remember almost hearing God say to me, this is the battle that your son was fighting besides the addiction. And this is the battle that you need to fight. And I knew that my job was not only to support those that are, that are in recovery and, and those that are struggling, but my job is to destroy the mindset and the stigma of addiction that these people are weak and worthless and they can quit anytime they want. And it was their choice. So, you know, the hell with them. And, right. you know, if they die, they die. They may, and I just thought, um, until the day I die, I will fight to make people understand that that is not the case, that these kids and these men and women and loved ones are not a number. They're human beings and that loved and struggled and lost the battle to this addiction because of a moment of weakness, because of, of bad decisions that were made. And, you know, addiction, addiction is not the same as a drug problem. See, people go, well, he's got a drug problem. He's an addict. No, he's not. Because someone with a drug problem and someone who struggles with addiction, they are two completely different entities. They are not the same thing. Right. And those struggling with addiction are self-medicating. They are running away. They're trying to cope with something that is missing in their life, in them. And they need to be treated as such. They don't need to be treated as someone who parties a lot and, oh, and it just got away from you. Because that's not the case. And I literally have made it my life's work now to educate people and make them understand that that's not true, that the old way of thinking about someone who's struggling with addiction, you know, is wrong. And the battle that they fight from the stigma is crushing them and it is killing them just as much as the addiction itself is. So what, what can, what can we do? I mean, what can we do at this point? Because it's something that we're all hearing about now. We're hearing about the epidemic that's going on with heroin, with opioids, with every single part of it. We, I mean, Tone, I'm going to be honest with you after, after your son died and I may get emotional here for a second because, because I know you, I may not know you as well as other people, but I consider you a friend. I I consider your family a friend. It's something that's very important to me. When I heard I, I, I broke down because I couldn't imagine as a father what that must be like. So I'll, I'll leave it at that. But I have conversations with my girls every single day 
when they go out that it is it, it, it's something that they need to be concerned with. It's something that they need to take a look at because, you know, my, my 16 year old has a conversation with a boy that she's thinking about dating. And this kid's on Snapchat and he's doing blow and says, looks like it's going to be a fun night. And my daughter immediately replies back with looks like it's going to be a fun night for you. Don't ever contact me again. You know, it's something that that I am constantly talking to my children about. You know, I I could be the traditional Irish Catholic, Italian Catholic parent who don't drink, don't do this, don't do that. But instead, I choose to communicate with my children about every single thing that goes on in the world. And, And as soon as I had heard about what happened between you and your son and the struggles that you guys had gone through, it was a sit down tone. I'm telling you, it was a conversation at my dinner table where we discussed this and we discussed that, you know, there is a massive struggle out there and there is something. And, and, and with, you know, I mean, I I have a friend of mine whose son, you know, this kid was an all-star athlete, ended up getting on perks and getting on some of the other drugs that are out there, got addicted, his prescriptions run out, nobody's given him anything anymore. And he had to go and find another outlet. You know, I mean, these are things that, that we all see all the time and it's so readily available. I mean, what, what can we do? I mean, how do we keep that out of our house? Because we always talk about, well, it's not going to happen to me. That's something that happens in the Midwest. That's something that happens in the ghetto. That's something that happens over there, but it happened to you. And you're, you're a well-off individual. You're a businessman in Philadelphia. You know, you raised kids, you've done it. What can we do? Well, I'm going to tell you, you've, you, you've already hit what you can do. The problem is, you know, I, I spoke, um, I, I was blessed enough to speak in Washington at a place called the Meridian House for mentorship USA and mentorship, mentoring, sorry, mentoring USA and mentoring international. And I spoke to a bunch of ambassadors from all these different countries. And I spoke with the, uh, the, the drug czar now of the United States, and there were all these important people, and they were all sitting in the chair, and I got up to speak, and I, I said something to them, and it was so true, and I, and I was praying that they got what I meant, and I looked in that audience, and I said, you want to know something? Do you want to know who the problem is? Do you want to know why there's a problem? I said, because everyone in that audience, including myself on this stage, we're so important. We're so important. We're, we're running countries. We're doing policies. We're entrepreneurs. We're CEOs. We're so damn important because we're changing the world. We don't have time to sit down and speak to our kids because, hey, they'll, t- they'll handle themselves because yeah. we're so damn important. We're so important and we do so much important work that we can't be involved in that because we're changing the world. When the people that change the world, the ones that need us most are the ones that we don't talk to. We don't sit down. We tell them, go on your Twitter, go on the computer. Mommy's tired. Daddy's tired. Go talk to your friends on the internet. Go do what you need to do. Go, go play video games because mommy and daddy's tired. We work hard all day and we leave these kids with nothing and they learn self-esteem by how many likes they get on Twitter and how many followers they get on Instagram or Facebook. And then we look at ourselves and we go, oh my God, how could this happen? How could this be? Because we don't even talk to each other. We don't even talk to other families. We hide it. 
We, we, we push it under the rug and we ignore it and we think that it's going to go away. And I'm telling you, if you don't invest time in your children and your loved ones, I am telling you, if addiction has not affected your family or someone you know, it will. It will if we don't change the way we look at life. We don't teach these kids how to cope with life. We don't sit, we don't talk to them, we tell them that life is wonderful. And I wish that it is, but it's not always wonderful. And they need to interact with other people and they need to be able to talk and know and learn with real people, not texting them or tweeting them. Do you, do you, do you know how sad it is, Brian, that someone, some beautiful, loving child, human being thinks about taking their life because they put a picture of themselves in a new dress or in a suit and some idiot said that they were <laughs> fat or that they were ugly because that's how they judge their worth. Absolutely. It's so sad. It kills me. It destroys me. Talk and, to your families. Let them we, know that you love them. Yeah. We, uh, I, I'm Tony, I'm telling you that I, I have girls and I spend so much of my time just communicating, just talking. You know, my girls will say to me, dad, put your phone down, put your phone down, put your phone down. And my answer used to be, well, I'm working. And I'll be honest with you, your, your son passing brought a point to my life. You know, I mean, I, I realize my, my girls aren't going to be here forever. My oldest daughter's 16, man. She's going to college. She wants to go far away. My youngest daughter's 13. She's not going to be here. And Tony, in no way can I replace your son or do any of that. But to me, the fact that my girls are not going to be in my my uh, my life on a daily basis scares the shit out of me. Yeah. You know, I wake up no matter where I am, Tone, and, and I'm going to tell you, and this is a, por a, a, a portion of this has to do with looking at you in the funeral home that day and seeing the pain in your face. And the pain in everybody's face around them because they lost somebody. And I wake up no matter where I am, dude, six o'clock in Philadelphia on a school day. And I FaceTime my daughter and I wake her up every single morning. Oh, hey, bud, I just want to let you know it's 6.05. It's time to get up. Okay, dad, thanks. And to me, that's the, those are the most important parts of my day, man. You know, the same thing that with my 13-year-old. It's something that's really important to me because, you know, I'm, I'm a single dad. I have a huge support system, but my oldest daughter lives with me full time, um, doesn't have a phenomenal relationship with her mother. My youngest daughter has a phenomenal relationship with her mother. So we've got little different parts of the world in that that, that, ha that hurts. But, but I have to do what I can do. I cannot change the way that other people are. I cannot change the relationships that they have with other people. All I know is what I can do in my house. And for me, one of the most important things that I can do is just communicate with my girls across the board. I can joke around all I want with my daughter before she goes to a party and I look at her and I say, no drugs, no booze, and no sex. And she goes, dad. And I said, baby, I'm just being a dad. That's what I'm supposed to say. Yeah. But just know about it. I'm just letting you know that I'm here for you no matter what it is. And and, you know, I mean, it's Tona, I can't imagine what you're going through, dude. I really can't. But but well, I want I, you. I, I will, I will tell you this, Ryan. What you just said to me about you talking to your daughters and 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 communicating. And I have to tell you that. As difficult as it is. To live with the fact that my son is not here. When you say things like that. And 
people that I speak to tell me that they've, they've posted, they've talked, that they've supported, that they've changed their mind about the way they look at people struggling with addiction. I know that my son and all those people who have died from this horrible addiction did not die in vain. My son did not die in vain because if one person can be saved, then his life had tremendous meaning. And all I asked, you asked what could someone do? Here's what I beg people to do. Young kids, they don't know what hashtag brown and white is. By the way, it's hashtag brown and white because brown and white are the two primary colors of heroin. But it's about all opioids. It's about all addiction, all addiction, all drugs. And I say to people, kids, when they go on Twitter or on Instagram or on Facebook, they just look at what's trending. So the more people that do something, the more kids look. And I tell people, here's what you can do. How much does this take? When you get up every morning, every morning, take five seconds out of your day, go on social media, use the hashtag brown and white, and that's B-R-O-W-N-A-N-D, W-H-I-T-E, and just say, we love you, we support you, you are not alone, love and support. That's all I want, love and support. Those that are struggling, if you need help, here's a number to call. Families, if you've lost a loved one, talk to each other, don't hide it, hashtag brown and white. Share a picture of your loved one, put it up on Instagram, say, this was my son, my daughter, my father, my brother, sister, this is their name. They are not weak, they are not losers. I love them, they loved me, they were strong, but they lost the battle, don't hide it. And the more people that use the hashtag brown and white, the more it trends, the more these young kids can look at and go, wait, what is this? What is hashtag brown and white? Oh my God. And then it's, it's an information highway. People, if you've got uh, churches or synagogues or temples or anything, uh, mosques, anywhere you are, use the hashtag. Tell people they can come in to their, to their religion institutions or they can get fine help at this recovery center or they just know that this is a family that don't know you, but we love you and we know you're in the struggle. With, with using the hashtag brown and white. I said this a hundred times, Brian, when this interview is over, as God is my witness, the only thing I want people to remember is hashtag brown and white. I don't care if they ever remember mine. I didn't trademark the name hashtag brown and white. It's not a foundation. It's not a charity. I don't collect money and it's not my movement. It's our movement. It's your movement. It's everyone that is affected by this. It is your has nothing to do with me. Nothing. I ask people in different cities and states, use the hashtag, start groups of speaking and talking, go out there. Because this ain't about Tony Luke Jr. And it's not even about my son. It's about my son for me, but it's about your loved one for you. Yeah. That's all I ask. Well, Tone, I'm going to tell you, I've already, my brain is moving, man. It's moving quick, dude, you know, with, with what it is that I can do. I mean, we, as 
as people that are in the public and things that we do, we need to be more proactive. We need to be more socially aware of the things that are happening around us because we do. You're absolutely right. You're 100% right, man. We get caught up in all the bullshit. I get caught up in the fact that I'm up on stage with somebody who's awesome. I get caught up in the fact with who I'm talking to or what I'm doing. And we need to use the the platform that we have to be more uh, socially aware and socially conscious about the things that are happening. Because I'll tell you what, I travel all over the country, dude. And, and, and I know you know it because you've done it. You've been there. You go all over the world. Trust me. I tagged, I tagged Bahrain in this, you know, before we started talking, brother, you are all uh-huh. over the world. And which by the way, that was a very comforting thing to walk out of that base in Bahrain and walk over and sit down and see that. So, um, but, uh, but it's something that we have to do. We need to be more, we, we need to be more socially aware and it's not about getting up on a stage when you're accepting awards and stuff like that. It's about doing it day to day, not just when that public is standing there waiting for you to say something. And I agree oh, with you, dude. You're so right, Brian. You're so, so, so right. That's exactly uh, it. Yeah. I mean, I, I travel all over the country, dude. I'm in and out of tiny little towns and I see the struggle every single place that I go, dude. Every single place that I go from Rockford, Illinois, to Tampa, Florida, Fort Myers, to San Diego, to San Francisco and Sacramento and, 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 and everywhere in between. It's a struggle that we all, that we all see, but we really just kind of push it away and we just swipe it away. It's something that we're not interested in that moment. You're exactly right. It's something that's not trending. It's something that is not one. Guess what? It's not fucking glamorous, man. It's not glamorous. No, it isn't. So, so we, as people that have the platforms that we do tone, this is something that I'm going to take, dude, I'm being serious with you. It's something that's important to me. I sense your pain. Uh, I, I feel it, brother. Thank and, you, bro. and I cannot imagine what you're going through, but I'm going to have the conversation, dude. And, and, and there, there's, I'll be honest, tone. There's not much more that's important that we can talk about from this point forward other than this. And uh, I just want you to know that no matter what, I am always here for you with no matter what it is, no matter I, 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 you just and, and whatever I can do, then let's do something together and let's make this something that's important to other people besides just this conversation. I so, love you, brother. And I love you, Tone. Always have, man. I always have. So, Tone, dude, I, I appreciate your time. I appreciate you taking time out of your day to have a conversation with me and share something that is so personal and so important to – it's not even important to you. It's important to all of us that we have to discuss. Um, so, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we're talking to Tony Luke Jr. right here. And if you want to have a conversation, feel free to reach out to him. Tony is one of the most open, honest, and caring human beings that I've ever come in contact with. Um, Tony is the type of guy who will give the shirt off of his back for you. And at this point, the only thing that we're asking for is get it out there, man. Start talking to people. Use the hashtag of brown and white. And let it be known. Have a conversation with your children. Talk to them. Communicate with them. We hide things all the time. We're so afraid that we're going to harm our children by sharing too much with them or giving them too much information. But for something that's important to me is the fact that I'm real with my children. Because look, drug addiction, the process of it all is real. It's a reality. Okay, Our children have more access to it now than they ever have. And not not even our children. It's everybody. It's, it's available no matter where you go. So have a conversation about it. Sit back, bring some awareness to it. Tone, dude, I want to thank you so much, man. I really do. No, thank you, Brian. Thank you I really so, do. so much. And uh, uh, I'm, I'm going to reach out to you this week after Thanksgiving. I cannot imagine what you're going to go through this week. 
and I lost my father a month ago. I'm so sorry. <laughs> and uh, so I, I feel the pain that you feel by not having somebody there with you. And uh, I love you, brother. I love you, too. God bless. All right, ladies and gentlemen. Well, uh, there you go. That was uh, one of the most powerful conversations that I have had in in uh, in 46 years of life. Um, to feel, I, I hope you guys could feel the pain that I felt, and I know Tony. Um, we have been friends for a while, and uh, it was something to sit in and to drive across a bridge from Philadelphia to New Jersey, and to walk into a funeral. Uh, of a friend who had lost a child. And it's something that I cannot even imagine the pain that he is going through on a daily basis. Uh, the pain that, that Tony feels. And, and, uh, that's something that, 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 that I have a struggle with, um, because I, my friend is in pain and, and I need to do something about that. So what I'm going to ask everybody to do after you listen to this, just take five seconds and just put it up there. Just take, go to your social media outlets and just do it. Just use the hashtag of brown and white, B-R-O-W-N-A-N-D-W-H-I-T-E. And just send it out there. Just put it out into the world. Just pop it up there for a little bit. And maybe there can be a little bit of awareness to that. And, and whatever you feel to put out there, you want to put that you love Tony Luke because of it. Look, it's not about Tony Luke. He even said it. It's about the awareness and the simplicity of the natural trending. We have trending every single day of all the bullshit that goes on in this world. And not one of those things is more important than us taking care of each other's as human beings. There are people out there that are, that are struggling. There are people out there that are hurting. There are people out there that we don't, you know, y'all see the little memes and the stuff that's on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram of, of the, the stick figure leaning down to pick somebody else up because it says, we don't know what the other, what struggles other people are going through. If you met Tony, Prior to any of this happening, you would have no idea that he had a son who had an addiction like this. You would have no idea that his family was going through that struggle. You would have absolutely no idea. I didn't know. But it's our job as human beings to take care of other people. Stop putting people down. Stop it with the bullshit every single day of the negativity as I talk in a negative tone. <laughs> but look, uh, we, are, we are all here for a purpose and and it's not for how many likes you can get it's not for anything else let's just take care of each other so tired of talking about the colors and and the different political parties and and what our president is doing and everything else start it at home and be nice in your house and be nice to your neighbors you know it's that whole world of you know uh, i mean think you know act locally or think locally and act globally and, and, and everything else and we need to take care of what we have in front of us. And then from that point, let's move forward from there. So my job is to be a good dad. And my job is to communicate with my children. And the conversation that I have with my children and that I have with my children is very simple. My girls are 16 years old and I want my daughter 16 and 13. And my 16-year-old, I want her to have fun in life. And I want her to go out and experience the trials, the tribulations. You know, I try not to get too involved in the bullshit that they go through of being 16. Think about what it must be like at this point right now. If we were 16 years old, I am 46 years old. That was 30 years ago. Imagine the struggle, the stress that we had 30 years ago of being 16 years old and then amplify that by a million. Amplify that by you have to have a conversation in your brain every day. Can I wear this to, to school? Should I wear this? You know, 
What are people going to say if I post this or if I write this or if I think differently than other people? And then they do and then they get ostracized about it. They get, they get shunned. They get put down because of it in a matter of seconds. The instantaneous reaction that happens in that world must be just painstaking. And I feel bad that people have to go through that. I'm really, I really do. I love what I post. I love my world of social media that I have. I have created friendships because of it that are lifelong. And it's something that I, I enjoy doing. But I want to make sure, and it is my responsibility, to start doing this on more of a global manner. And that's something that I'm going to do. I'm still going to live my life. I'm still going to have fun. I'm still going to experience and, and get out there and do it. But you know what? It's something that I'm going to think about on a daily basis now is the struggles that other people are going through. So I hope you guys do the same. I hope you all had an absolutely wonderful Thanksgiving with your families. Um, this show uh, was very heavy. This show was uh, uh, this show was important. Uh, look, this is 36. Something that's important to do every now and then is to have a real conversation, not just about uh, what it all what it is that we all do and what we gain from it. So for me, I'm really proud of this show and I'm really proud of Tony Luke for hopping on with me and having that conversation. And uh, so, ladies and gentlemen, get out there, do the hashtag of brown and white, support my friend Tony and all the other people out there that have to deal with this on a daily basis and let people know that's important. So. Uh, I'm going to sign off. My name is Brian Duffy. You guys know me on sh- on Twitter and Instagram as Chef Brian Duff. Uh, you guys are now going to know me as uh, Brian Duffy with the hashtag of brown and white for a little while so that we can get some awareness out there for it. I have to thank a series of people very quickly so that I can move on and uh, go and hug my girls and, and try to share some information with them. And that is one, radioinfluence.com. These gentlemen are wonderful human beings. They do an amazing job. I'm super proud of the fact that I am a part of a team uh, that is as friendly, as communicative, and as supportive as this group is. Um, I hope that uh, radioinfluence.com can possibly even get some of the other podcasts that they have out there, maybe to have a conversation about this or use that hashtag with their platforms. I would really enjoy that. Uh, I want to thank Maggie Gagliardi, who is a tremendous artist out of Connecticut, who does just an absolutely wonderful job with me, for me, for this uh, thing called Duffified Live. She creates every single one of these posts. Uh, that I get to put up and she takes time out of her day to draw this and use her creativity and do it. I want to thank Michelle out there at Techno Solution for putting her stuff together and taking time out of her day and creating the website and and assisting me with the growth of this as as big as we can go. Um, My name is Brian Duffy. I want to thank you all for taking time with me. Have an absolutely amazing week. Hashtag brown and white, guys. Didn't get Duffified enough? Follow Chef Brian Duffy on Facebook and on Twitter at Chef B-R-I-D-U-F-F. Look for the blue verified check mark to get exclusive content and to see what's coming up on next week's show. This has been Duffified Live with Chef Brian Duffy on Radio Influence. I'm Jerry Petuck, CEO of Radio Influence. I just wanted to take a quick moment to say thank you for downloading and subscribing to this podcast. There are a lot of people behind the scenes here at Radio Influence that work hard to keep you entertained day in and day out. If you'd like to get involved and advertise on this program, or you have some show ideas that you'd like to see us add to the Radio Influence family, please email us at contact at radioinfluence.com. We all have crazy schedules, so the fact that you took time out of your busy day to let us entertain you for a while means a lot. Without you, the listeners, we wouldn't exist. So thank you again for downloading and subscribing to this show. Don't forget to check out RadioInfluence.com to see what other shows we also have to offer. All of Radio Influence's programming can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, 
TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and of course, RadioInfluence.com. <laughs>